Look, um, really excited to be to be sharing today. Um, start of 2016. I'm not a big um, resolutions kind of guy, but I, I do like to plan um, and I do like to to strategize and think about the year that's coming. And um, and you might read this and and see something completely disconnected, but. What I'm trying to achieve here, or where I'm trying to go, is to look at today, to look at the nature of God and look at who He is and His personhood and try and screw that down far enough to see how that affects this week or how that affects how you drive your car or the type of conversations you have or the type of job that you take um, so that you can start off this year uh, full of joy in who God is and, and having that transform the way you live your life. So we're going to look at uh, the nature of God through stories in the Bible. We're going to look at four stories and just going to draw out an element of his character. Now, we're, we're, just, we're just kind of scratching the surface in terms of the nature of God. So we're not covering a whole amount of ground. We've got kids here, so this isn't going to be uh, long. Um, but uh, my prayer is that these would be some really key elements that will um, that'll be at work in your heart to transform you. Um, so if at the end of today I can create in you or stir in you a passion for who God is and what he's up to and your role in his story, um, I'll, be, um, I'll be stoked, be really happy. So let's, um, let's get straight into it. We're going to start with a story of Adam and Eve. And we're going to, so again, this is all we're doing. We're looking at a story. We're trying to look through the story to, to try and understand well, what does that say about God and then how does that actually um, strike or, or how does that earth into my life and transform what I do week to week I'll just quickly read Genesis 1 26 and God said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then the Lord, and then that, that's it. And then Genesis 2 retells it uh, a little bit. So I just want to read a very similar version of it from Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Now, it's not much of a story. That's, this is the, the shortest story. It doesn't really tell you anything about them. It doesn't tell you much about um, their lives, apart from the fact that they were made by God, they were created by God. Um, but we're going to start We're going to start really simply. The question here is, what does that tell you about God? What does that tell us about God? How does that inform us about His nature? It's really easy. What, someone throw it out. What does it tell you about God? Exactly. God is a creator. God is, uh, and even more specifically here, he's the author, the author of life. So he, he wrote the book. He speaks and life ha- just happens. It, it happens. His word is life-giving. He alone, he alone has the ability to take something from nothing. And here it is. It's his word. Uh, now, a few, a few things I want to draw out of that. God is thoroughly creative. He wrote, he wrote the book. From him comes a stream of beautiful and bewildering things. When's the last time you saw a Sydney blue gum? 
I am huge, huge, magnificent trees, up to hundreds of years old. Uh, There's a tree uh, I read. Um, I've done a little bit of hiking in the Woolamai Wilderness north of Sydney and in the neighbouring national park, there's a tree that, that they reckon is over 300 years old. This tree's lived through the history of Australia. It's, they reckon it's 316 years old, and I'm just going, that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. I um, took my son for his first hike. Um, he's six, week old, six weeks old. Took him to Ravensville National Park and just did, just did a 45-minute little loop with my son. He loved it um, so much that he slept the whole way. But there's something magnificent and glorious about that, isn't there? Just, just a, about a Sydney blue gum. You just, I just kind of walk up and I'm just going, that's cool. My daughter, I, I took her walking in the park last week in Queen's Park and I was showing us, look at these big, beautiful trees. And her response was, um, she did this and she said, can't reach it. It's like, that's, that's a really good way to um, have a relationship with trees. It's just, I can't reach it. I, I, I'm not like that. I'm not magnificent in that manner. So, so let me try and go through this, through the nature of God to how that affects your life. Um, this year, learn to enjoy God's gifts. Swap your iPad for a map. Uh, take off the, the Oculus and, uh, and put on the hiking boots. Um, you know, make time, deliberate time to enjoy God's beautiful creation. Um, you might even begin to hear the cry. If you, if you know Romans 1, verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. What's he saying? The things that I've made reflect my divine glory. So you look at a Sydney blue, uh, blue gum, you're getting a little bit of my nature. You're understanding a little bit more of who I am. So I'd encourage you. Learn, this year, learn to enjoy God's good gifts. He is a, a beautiful creator. The second uh, element I want to draw out of that is... Um, out of his um, nature as a creator, is that as a Christian, upon salvation, uh, God made you new. God remade you. You are not the same. You're a new person now. Uh, 1 Corinthians says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. So this year, again, just just little... Uh, takeaways for you this year, learn to revel in your new identity. In Christ, you're a new creation. You've got a new heart. You have new desires in your heart. You've got a new family here and you've got a new hope that reorientates the way you're walking. Think about this question. Do I, do I truly know that I have a new heart as a Christian? What sinful patterns or temptations would tell me otherwise. What, what patterns of sin in your life are actually telling you that you don't have a new heart, you've still got the old heart? And what are you going to do about that? Second story. Oh, not second story. Second um, element of this story. Um, just to take it a little bit further. Psalm 139. Really common verse, but I think it ties in really well with the creation story. It says this. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Now, now look at the relationship of creator and createe. Uh, when you think about that relationship, don't think of that relationship like as a, as a manufacturing plant where there's a conveyor belt and the worker scurries over and quickly inspects an item and polishes a bit and screws a bit on and then a robotic arm comes in and finishes it up. Um, think, of a, think of a craftsman building a, a simple chair. He, he maps it out, he plans it, he sketches it, he, selects, he you know, carefully selects the wood, planes the wood down, you know, pieces it together, smooths it over, varnishes it. Um, God made you and he knows you intimately. Even from the beginning of your life, you have been seen and known. Now, isn't that the thing that, like, that's the thing. I just, I really want that. Doesn't that, um, isn't that what social media is all about? I just want to be seen and known. I want someone to listen to me. I want to be heard. Isn't that the case of a really effective Facebook status? It's all about engagement. I, I want people to, how much attention did I receive how many eyes was I able to get in front of? It's, I just want someone to see me and know me through and through and still want to know me after knowing all of that. God is all-knowing. He sees and knows you. So this year, application for you, stop vying for the attention of man. Just, Just... Call that quits. Set your sights on knowing God and being known by Him. Thank you. Does it sound that dry? So it's shocking. So, so the question: Where in my life have I been desperate for attention or recognition? Where am I? Um, where am I just really hungry for attention? For example, is my is my work life? Is that all about prominence? Is my career just about being known? You are known and seen by God. Reorientate that way. Next story, Joseph. This is a, um, a photo taken. Um, it's, uh, had to dig deep to find this one in the archives. Um, but we're going to look at the question, what does the story of Joseph and his brothers, what does that tell you about God? Um, just a brief recap, and then I'll read a, um, a little section of a book. Um, so we, we know Joseph, let me jog the memory, um, 12 kids or brothers, big, big family. He was favored by his father. Um, you'll remember the, the coat that his father made him and his brothers is just going, Dad, what's in my Christmas present? He's going, I got you a, um, a new shovel so you can work harder on the, in the fields. And Thanks, Dad. Um, and, uh, and he had, Joseph had a couple of dreams uh, that, that um, his brothers and his family would actually bow down to him along with the, the moon and, and everything's just bowing down and Joseph's going, cool, hey, fellas, guess what happened to me last night? And uh, they're not 
they're not loving it. They're not loving the fact that um, his father favors him and he's having all these dreams about, about having a platform and significance. So they, um, they threw him in a well and sold him into slavery. Um, they lied to their dad and said, oh, he got eaten by a wild animal, um, took a bloody robe to their father and um, that was that. He's done. And then, um, you know, while working, he, he worked his way up in Potiphar's palace. While working in the palace, he was um, Potiphar's wife, um, you'd, you'd say, looked upon him favorably uh, and, and tried to seduce him. And he's like, no, nah, I'm not, not really into that. He was falsely accused, got thrown in jail for a number of years and rose to prom- prominence after interpreting some dreams um, for the Potiphar. But let me read you a little excerpt. I found a great book by, um, by John Bloom um, that um, does a really good job of this. It's just a little excerpt. <clears throat> what do you mean he's alive? Jacob had no place to put Reuben's words. Sorry, I should set the scene. This is a retelling of the story. So he's a fictional retelling. I know it's unbelievable, Father, Reuben replied. We hardly believe it, and we saw him with our own eyes. The Egyptian Lord, the one who demanded that we bring Benjamin, he is Joseph. He's not only alive, he's... Reuben stumbled over the strange sentence. He's, he's now ruling Egypt for Pharaoh. Jacob squinted skeptically. A son dead for two decades is not easily resurrected. You are cruel to tell me such a thing unless you have no doubt. I have no doubt, Father. It's going to take hours to tell you everything. But we spoke with him. We ate with him in his house. Simeon couldn't resist. He sat us around the table in the order of our births. Before any of us knew who he was, we thought he was a magician. And you should have seen how much food he placed before Benjamin. Reuben continued. He told us himself, Father, I am your brother Joseph. We responded just like you are now. I thought he was tricking us. But after talking to him for hours, there's no doubt it's him. And the first thing he wanted to know was, is my father still alive? Jacob's stony expression didn't change, though his eyes overflowed. He moved them from son to son, lingering on Benjamin and returning to Reuben. But you showed me his bloody robe. He was attacked by a wild animal. If he survived, why didn't he ever come home? Why would he go to Egypt? Joseph would never have forsaken me. The moment had come, the one they had dreaded for the whole way home. For 22 years, they had kept this festering wound of wickedness concealed from their father, but God had now exposed it. Shame bent the head of nine sons. Judah was the exception. Joseph didn't forsake you, father, said Judah. He was forsaken. No, worse. He was betrayed. Jacob stared at Judah. Betrayed by whom? Judah pushed hard the heavy words by his brothers. Brothers who hated him for having his father's favor. Brothers who hated him for having God's favor. In all honesty, we actually talked of killing him, but decided instead to profit from his demise. Judah broke it by saying softly, his dream came true. Jacob looked up again. Joseph dreams. It, it came true. All 11 of us bowed down before him in Egypt. We sold him into slavery because of his dream of ruling over us, never dreaming as we did it that we were helping bring it to pass. What does that, what does that tell you about God? What is the story of Joseph? If you look through the story of Joseph, what does that tell you about God? 
Um, I want to draw out two things here. The first thing I want to suggest is that God is truth, or God is, is true. Um, you remember the dreams that God gave Joseph. God meant it, didn't he? He, he meant it. His word came to pass. Now, you th- yeah, sure, of course it did. But even when to Joseph, sitting in prison, it wasn't looking great. Years and years in prison, these little dreams ticking over in the back of his head, it, it's not looking great. The question is, was God's word still true in prison? Absolutely, absolutely. That's because God is truth. That's because he does what he says. He's not like us. We are consistently bad at this. Um, throw out a couple statements that you think might reflect this, our inability to be true. Ah, oh, I promise I'll be there. Yeah, I'll be there at 10. Yeah, 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 yeah. Seriously, that was the best thing I've ever seen. Look, I'll give it everything I've got. Just just ridiculous. We say all the time statements that we will not live up to or, or truth that we cannot sustain. And now I'm sure you know your own statements that you make um, where you're not true. Look, it could be punctuality. You might just need to rein in on the promises you make about punctuality because you are terrible at scheduling. This year, guard your mouth. Let your yes be yes and no more. Don't make excuses. Just be true. So the question for you, in what ways do you exaggerate or or stretch the truth? And the other element there is, is this year, God is truth, so hold God to his promises. Spend time feeding your heart with them. What does that result in? What do you think that's going to result in? That's going to result in radical faith. God commands me to fear not and promises that he's going to be with me so I can have a difficult conversation with my spouse or, or I can confront a co-worker who's uh, robbing the boss or I can share the gospel and not have fear. The promises of God contain precious truths that you need to feed your heart with. Second part of the story of Joseph, we learn that God is really good. Knowing that he is absolutely good gives us hope to endure trials. You, you better believe that the goodness of God will seep out of the places in your life where you are going through trials and enduring hardships. You better believe it. God twists evil and what he does with evil, he doesn't just make it bow to his goodness but he makes evil pick up a shovel and work to bring about his good purposes. Now, that, that's not a really pretty picture, but it's really hopeful. If you all know that the verse, the kicker at the end of Joseph's story that makes it so precious, Joseph says, says to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? He's saying, you guys, you meant it for evil. Your intentions was evil. But God, you know what God's doing? He's chaining up evil and he's putting it to work to serve his purposes. And you know what I love about this? This, 
to the Christian, God is saying the same thing. Think about this. When you sin against someone, your sin is primarily against God. So God has been wronged time and time again. And through Christ, God responds to you in the same manner. Do not fear. See that at the end of what Joseph said? He said, so do not fear. You meant it for evil, but God's meant it for good. So don't fear. That's what God says to us. Don't fear. I'm not a wicked father who's out to get you. But in Christ, I'm responding to you with my goodness. So this year, application this year, trust that God's goodness is working through your trials. Because if you're not there now, uh, you will be. If you're, not, if you're not under any pressure now, you will be. It's coming. There, there will be things coming against you that will put you in a prison like Joseph. And you're just sitting there going, nah, this, this, isn't, this wasn't the dream that God gave me. Or this doesn't really look that good. You need to trust that underneath it all, God is working his good purposes. All right. Another story of the... Um, this, is, this is a broad sweep of a story. This is about the Israelites. Um, and what I'm going to read is I'm going to read a series of really small sections about how much of a joke the Israelites were um, and how much they just messed up uh, following God and, and, and following Moses. So I think I've got about... Um, 20, 20 little mini, mini stories about how, um, how poorly they did from the time they met Moses right through their journey. So uh, Exodus 4.31, at first um, the Israelites rallied behind Moses uh, when, when Moses said, God is going to deliver you, he's, he's going to set you free. But when Pharaoh increased their work, they completely lost faith. Um, after the Passover, when, um, when the angel of the Lord passed over the uh, homes, um, the people deeply revered Moses, but their trust quickly evaporated on a seashore when Pharaoh's army showed up. And when the sea opened for them and closed on the Egyptians, you know, they pass through the sea, opens up, we're all good, the Egyptians are coming, closes. They believed um, that Moses was a great hero and God had delivered them. Um, that is, until they traveled through the desert for a little bit, they came to Mara and they found bitter water. And again, they gave up. Uh, God sweetens the water. People gave up on grumbling. Um, yeah, it's all good. We'll buy the oasis. We'll drink. That's all good. But I'm hungry. So we're going to grumble again. God provided manna. Manna fell. They gathered as much as they could eat until they got thirsty again and they wanted to stone Moses. Exodus 18. Uh, Moses, we need your counsel. There was a great amount of demand for Moses' counsel. Um, they, they couldn't take it. And um, God introduced Jethro. Uh, Moses climbs Mount Sinai. The people pledge obedience to the Lord, uh, but Moses tarried up on the mountain, stayed there a little while as he met with God, and the people decided to elect a golden calf to lead them. It just keeps going. They stood uh, weeping at the doors of their tents because they were tired of eating boring old manna. Moses cries out to God, I am not able to carry all this people alone. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. That's, that's, a, that's a tough job. God mercifully gave Moses some elders and he gave the people some meat. Uh, now to add heartbreak to insult, Miriam and Aaron publicly oppose Moses because of his interracial marriage in Numbers. But God confirmed his servant Moses and humbled Miriam with leprosy. 
for a week. Um, the, 12, the 12 spies, you're still tracking with me, they sent out the, the 12 spies to, um, to report on the promised land. Uh, when they gave their report, the people threatened to depose Moses and Aaron and stone Joshua and Caleb. Uh, Moses and Aaron fall on their faces, tear their clothes, and they plead with the people to trust the Lord. But the people still grumbled, and 40 years of lament followed. Uh, Korah, he led a coup. Um, God wiped out the rebels in the Israelite camp, and the people blamed Moses for that one. Um, They got thirsty again and grumbled against Moses. They just keep doing it. Uh, Moses loses his temper, struck a rock. God gave the people water, but barred Moses from Canaan. From Canaan, sorry. Now, one would think that they've learned the lesson, but again, the people complained about food and water, and God gave the people fiery serpents instead. And after all of this, their long journey being led by God through the wilderness, many Israelites rejected the Lord and embraced Baal in Numbers 25. What a bunch of jerks, seriously. What, what, is this, what does this tell you about God's nature? Now, that is, that is like... That's so obvious. What does that tell you? What does the Israelites' relationship with God, God's relationship with Israelites, what does that tell you about him? He's merciful. God is really, really merciful. It just about seemed like every week the Israelites just had something else to grumble about and just totally stuff up. It's like clockwork. It's like, yep, it's that time of the week. It's time to turn away from God and pursue something else. And you're just going, just time after time after time. You would think about the, after the great rescues that they'd been through, that there would be like a, an attitude, a small attitude of humility and obedience. Like being led by a pillar of fire. Like, guys, come on. Like, can you, can you see this? Like, is it only the, the first thousand people that can see this and the rest of the million behind can't see? Like, what's going on here that you're not, get, you're not seeing this and you're not in awe? Uh, but no, just like clockwork, they just keep stuffing up and keep turning away from God. But now let's look through that. Let's look at God as merciful. Knowing God as merciful, what does that do? What does that do to you? When, knowing that God is merciful. I want to suggest that that removes the fear of His judgment. Because day after day, God continues to pour His kindness out on you. Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, being rich in mercy. Lamentations 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You aren't living in the fear of his judgment anymore. You are free to enjoy God day after day. Now, if that doesn't impact you, um, you might not know how how bad you really are. You might not know how much you actually need His mercy. And you might need to be praying, Lord, would you actually reveal how wicked my heart is? Because mercy is a sweet, sweet thing. So this year, application remind yourself of his mercy remind yourself of christ you deserved a really bad outcome but you got a really good one by god's grace 
you look at that and you remind yourself of mercy and it produces an attitude of humility in your heart and obedience. So question, who do you need to extend mercy to? Who in your life are you just withholding it? You're just sitting over them as a judge and they're just living under your fear. Where has your pride ruined a relationship? Is it your spouse? Are they living under the fear of your judgment? Last story, we'll wrap it up. Jesus is God in the form of a man, sent from heaven to live on earth, to die for man's sin and to resurrect, to conquer sin, Satan and death. I love, I love how Hebrews 1 puts it, just to tie it in. Right at the start of Hebrews 1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. So, when we're looking at stories in the Bible... Uh, and we're looking at the word of God to us. Jesus is the final word. This is like, this is the, you know, this, we had the, we had the, um, the uh, pre-roll, but this is the party. This is the real thing. What does his son do? What's that all about? Now, I'm not going to cover the story of Jesus for time because I think we know it. But let me draw out um, Romans 5 that does a really good job of it. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Let me read that bit again. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by His life? So, really simple. Christ died uh, that we might become children of God. What does that say about God? What does Jesus say about God? I wanted to say God is relational, but I think it does a little a broader sweep to say God is love. And that is really good news. God wants you in his family. God has done through Jesus everything that needs to be done to make a way. So in Christ, we see a loving father giving up his son that the rogues, that, that the people on the outside might be saved, that we might be saved. Now remember, this, Hebrews 1, God's most significant act towards you was Christ. That was, the, that was the biggest thing that God has done towards you and that was an act of great love. Now, how does knowing that you are loved by God change you? Now, all the fellas are just going, not much. You know, like all the women are going, that's beautiful. But look, it could, be, it could be that you're a little bit less insecure. It could be that you don't, you don't arc up quite as much when you're challenged. Or that you don't, you're not wrestling for attention all the time. It could be you don't demand as much from your family. It could be that you actually take a, a position of service because you know that God loves you. This year, 
Look for opportunities to extend the love of God to those around you. Small, intentional, deliberate opportunities. Look for them. Be proactive. Look for them. All right, we're wrapping up. So, as you read the Bible this year, as you read through the Scriptures, my prayer is that you would continue to read through the stories to see who God is and what He's up to. To look at all of the stories, to look at Old Testament, New Testament, wherever you're sitting, to read straight through it and go, what does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about His nature? And, and what God is up to. And that's, um, that's the question. What precious truths about the nature of God do we need to be reminded of? Now finally, um, to connect this into the life of the church and where we are right now, um, end of the month we're, we're having stakeholders morning. I'm really excited about it. Because uh, the question is, why do we do what we do as a church? I want to suggest it's because of who God is and His nature. So let me give you an example. He, God is a redeemer. In Him, you've been redeemed by His blood. God is a redeemer, Ephesians 1. So we gladly join in on His mission to redeem people. God is really relational. So we love and serve each other in community groups and we pursue each other in relationships. God is really true. God is truth, so we boldly declare His truths to those around us in order to line ourselves up with who He is and what He's up to. So, that, so who God is and His nature informs the things that we do. God is on a mission this year. He is powerfully holding everything together and working to redeem people to love and enjoy Him. I pray that you get really excited about what God's up to.